Greetings and welcome to The Well. I'm your host, Sean Barkley. As always, it's great to be with you. We'll spend 10 or 15 minutes together looking at God's Word, looking at the truth that God has for us in His Word, uh, what it means in our lives, how it shapes us, and how it intersects with our everyday living. And so I tend to take a newspaper and look at articles and want to talk about what's going on. And this is an old article. It's two months old. It's from March. But it is something that has just grabbed my attention and has not let go, and it's known as the college admission scandal. And I'm sure that you're aware of that college admission scandal. In March, 50 people were indicted for bribing college administrators, coaches, and standardized test proctors in order to get their children into prestigious colleges. And so these are wealthy, powerful, influential people. Their children have not qualified to get into the school that they want to go to. And so mom and dad say, we will fix this. And so there was one man in particular. He is a college admission consultant. He accepted $25 million in bribes between 2011 and 2019, helping these young people get into schools they shouldn't be in. And this story has just been on my mind and bugged me. I think for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, we live in a merit-based society, and we don't like seeing people be rewarded for what they didn't earn. And so these, these young people are being rewarded with entrance into a school like Wake Forest or University of Southern California when they shouldn't be in there. And that means someone who earned admission didn't get in. And the other reason that this story has just, just bugged me is that because the guilty people who are indicted, who paid the bribes, are powerful and wealthy and influential, I just have this fear they're going to get off scot-free. And I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I just have this sense that they're going to escape any kind of repercussion or punishment. And I say all that because it reminds me that we do indeed live in a society that is merit-based. We get what we earn, and if we need justice because we've done something wrong, we get that too because that's what we've earned if we've done something that's against the law, for example. So a couple years ago, I read this article entitled, When, Every, when Everyone Gets a Trophy, No One Wins. And I kind of kept that on the old back burner thinking I would dust it off and talk about it someday, and today is that day. When everyone gets a trophy, no one wins. And so the article discussed, of course, children's sports leagues. When everybody gets a trophy, when everybody's a winner, it discussed school grade inflation, and the statistics were staggering. The percentage of young people that get A's and B's today as opposed to 50 years ago. But then it also talked about clothing sizes, and I found that hitting a little close to home. Did you know that a woman's dress size, of, let's say a size 14 today, would have been a size 18 in the 1970s? But we don't want people thinking they're wearing a size 18. And I'm okay with all that, but then later in the article there was this. Men's waist sizes for pants have also been changed. And I'm telling you, it wasn't two weeks ago, I was telling my wife, you know, I have gone from a 36-inch waist to a 34-inch waist and bragging about that. I'm in my 50s, it's hard to do that. And then I read this article and realize, you know, 
I probably still have a 36 inch waist. My pants just say it's 34 inches. We live in a merit-based society. And I, I tee all that up because in God's word, there is this wonderful concept known as grace where God celebrates and uses the, quote, wrong people. I mean, the one who finishes last, often in God's word, gets a blue ribbon. And so grace in the original Hebrew language means to show favor or kindness that's not merited. And grace, the Hebrew language, y'all, is really beautiful because words paint pictures. And so the picture that is painted with the word grace in the Hebrew language is the picture of someone in power bending down or stooping over to show kindness to someone who is below them. And of course, the obvious example is what God has done for humanity in the person of Christ. God has bent down, God has stooped over and shown unmerited kindness and favor to those of us who don't deserve it. When Jesus taught, I was meeting with a group of people the other night and talking about his communication style. And when Jesus taught, when he communicated with people, he often told stories to illustrate spiritual truths. He didn't spend a whole lot of time dissecting sentences. He didn't spend a lot of time with grammar and with language and making sure people understood the definition of terms. Jesus would say, here's a theological concept, a spiritual truth. Let me tell you a story to help you understand. So he would say, a man had two sons an elder son and a younger son. And one day the younger son came to his father and said, I want to take my portion of the inheritance and go. And Jesus would continue with that story and illustrate a spiritual truth. He would say the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet. And then he would tell the spiritual truth. A woman had ten coins. And then he would continue telling a spiritual truth. What I want to do is tell you two quick stories from God's word that illustrate the spiritual truth related to, to grace. The first story is from Genesis chapter 3. So in the Bible, Genesis, obviously the very first book, God has created all that we know, all that we see. God called it good, and God said to the first human beings he had created, you can eat from any tree in this entire garden. It's all yours. All of this abundance is all yours to have and enjoy. Everything is yours, but there's this one tree I do not want you to eat from. I am withholding that from you for your good. Well, the very first human beings, what do they do? They focus on scarcity and not abundance. They begin thinking, you know, all this is ours, but man, that one thing we can't have, it sure seems appealing. I mean, I'm raising my hand right now. Who among us has not had this experience? We have all this opportunity, all these resources, so much at our fingertips, and yet the one thing that we should not have is the one thing that we want. I mean, Paul talked about this in his letters all the time. So what they did, the first humans, is they reached for what God had said is not yours. They reached for what God said would harm them, and they disobeyed. And of course, the minute they do, they realize they've made a huge mistake, and they do what we do when we make mistakes. They hid, <laughs> as if God wouldn't find them. They realized they were naked and vulnerable. God goes walking in the garden and calls out, where are you? Note here in the story that God was looking for them. God made the first move. 
God is the one who stooped. They're the ones who did wrong. They're the ones who rebelled. They're the ones who should have gone looking for God to say, we are sorry, this is what we've done. They didn't do that. They hid from God. And the picture the Bible gives us is that God went looking for them. God initiated with them. And here's here's what happens next. God takes an innocent animal, part of his good and wonderful and perfect creation, and uses the skin from that animal to cover the nakedness of the first humans known as Adam and Eve. They were naked, they were vulnerable, and God covered them. And there's more. God also declared to them, in spite of what they had done, in spite of the fact he had had to reach out to them, find them, look for them, he declared one day the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent. And the serpent was the one the representation of the devil who had tempted them to eat of that tree in the first place. And so when God says this, what's he doing? He's giving them hope in spite of their rebellion. And of course, Jesus fulfilled this hope when he defeated these curses that humanity had brought upon itself. And so think, if, think with me, if you will. Notice in the story that God walks and calls for them. God is doing the same thing in your life right now. God is looking for you. Where are you? What are you doing? God wants to have a relationship with you. That's what grace is. In spite of our rebellion, in spite of all the the bad that we do, in spite of our brokenness, God initiates a relationship and says, where are you? Let me cover your brokenness and let me give you hope. Well, There's another aspect to grace. And I want to share a story from the New Testament just to illustrate this. You know the name Paul. He is a prolific, he was a prolific writer of letters and many of his letters are found in what's called the New Testament. In Acts chapter 16, Paul, who at one time had persecuted the church, his name was Saul at that time, had a conversion experience. And after his conversion experience, began to plant churches rather than try to destroy churches. And he had a friend of his named Silas, and they were on a missionary journey. They were going out and planting churches, and they were over in Philippi, which was a Roman colony. And while they were there in Philippi, uh, they were preaching the gospel, and there was a, a young slave woman who kept following them around and calling out to them. And this slave woman was very valuable to her owners because she had an evil spirit that, and I don't want to go into too much detail here, but she had this evil spirit that gave her the ability to predict the future. And so people with some means would go to her owners, pay them for her to predict the future for the person who had the means. And so she, she was the, the golden goose for her owners. Well, after hearing from her and recognizing that she had this evil spirit, Paul had had enough. He cast out the evil spirit. And of course, she's great. Everybody's happy. But you know who's not happy? Her owners. Because the golden goose has been killed. And so, in a fit of rage, they have Paul and Silas thrown before the magistrates. And the magistrates have Paul and Silas beaten, even though they were Roman citizens, and that was unlawful to beat a Roman citizen before a trial. Uh, It was unlawful to have any kind of verdict without a trial for a Roman citizen. They were beaten, they were thrown into jail. While they were in jail, 
even though they were wrongly jailed, they're sitting there having a worship service, singing songs and, and praying and enjoying one another. And the jailer falls asleep, but the doors are all locked. And then there's a great shaking of the earth. The text says it's an earthquake. The doors are flung open. The jailer sometime later wakes up and seeing that the doors of the cell were open, did what was customary. He drew his sword and prepared to kill himself. Understanding this was going on from inside the cell, Paul and Silas, they had not escaped, yelled out to the jailer, don't harm yourself. Can you just imagine that jailer said, what? These guys have been wrongly jailed and here they are telling me not to harm myself? I imagine he wiped the, the tears and the sleep from his eyes, went into the cell, and the text says essentially he joined the worship service. And during the worship service, he said to Paul and Silas, how do I get to meet this Jesus? Well, what do I need to do? And they said, you're worshiping him, and I would assume they gave him some more detailed information about the life of Jesus and said, if you believe, then he's yours. And the jailer believed he was baptized, his entire household was baptized, and they shared a big joyous feast together as a result of that. Do you note what's going on there? Paul, who had received incredible grace from God, given a new life, was a carrier or a bearer of that grace in the life of that jailer. Paul essentially says, even though you deserve to be mistreated, even though you deserve for me to escape, even though you deserve, go ahead and kill yourself. What should I care? Paul doesn't do any of those things. Rather, Paul gives the jailer his favor, his unmerited kindness. Paul, at that point, was in a position of power. He stooped down to the jailer. And so that prompts me to ask, is there someone in your life, I'm asking someone in my life, who needs that grace. Someone who is broken or down, who needs someone to stoop down and show kindness and favor to them. You know, I'm a Presbyterian minister and I hear talk in churches all the time, why are people not going to church like they once did? And the truth is in 2017, we had the most precipitous decline in worship attendance in this country's history. And so I hear, conversations. Well, we need to talk more about politics and social and moral issues and people will come to church. And then other people say, no, we don't need to talk about that stuff. We talk about it too much. If we talk about it less, people will come to church. And here's what occurs to me. I look at the story of Paul and Silas. What did they do to bring someone into the family of faith? They showed unmerited kindness and grace. And then they shared the gospel. Nothing more than that. So that's a little food for thought for you to enjoy this week. God is looking for you and me, and once God gives us His grace, covers us, gives us hope, He then says, now you go be a bearer of that grace in the life of someone else. I hope you have a wonderful and awesome week. Thanks a lot. Bye.